Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> the creator of Mythical, a podcast that wanders into the dark and fantastical pages of fairy tales and myths. Each episode, I read a classic or obscure story and add my own thoughts on the narrative. If you love original fairy tales, visit the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Mythical Podcast for all the latest updates and links to listen for free. I hope to see you in the storybooks. Warning! If you haven't figured out that the Wicked Library has strong themes of an adult, sometimes violent and decidedly scary nature, then by all means, keep listening. Go on, it's just that you're not going to complain about it. Oh, you can try, but you'll be scoffed at and ridiculed mercilessly by the host, the narrators, the producers, and you could bet your dangling participle me. Go ahead, try it. You're not going to like it one little bit, but our millions of listeners will eat it up. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, kiddies. So there's your warning. Enjoy the show, kiddies. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 820 of the Wicked Library. We'd like to give a big thank you to everyone supporting the show on Patreon, and of course those supporting the show through a membership to our website. Without you, this show would not be possible. If you're not a supporter yet and want to help us keep making the Wicked Library, you can support us on Patreon or on our website. All supporters get rewards like access to our archives, ad-free shows, and more. At $5 a month and above, you get to hear extra content before everyone else, like Wicked Fairy Tales, as told by your librarian, and The Private Collector, two of our bonus shows. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. We're working very hard to make the show sustainable for Season 9 and beyond, and we do need your help to do that. Also, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show, and of course, we love hearing from you. Today, we have a dark tale by Samantha Mayotte, making her Wicked Library debut with her story, Night Terrors, told by Addison Peacock, Evan Schmidt, David Alt, Nicole Goodnight, and yours truly, and featuring a custom score by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. Please, if you enjoy the stories you hear, find the work of the authors and buy their work keeps them making more. You can learn more about all of our authors at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. Hello, kiddies. You know who I am by now. Sit down and relax while you can. Your librarian has taken such good care of you for seven seasons. I see no need to lighten up for season eight. Hold on to your breath, kiddies. It might just be your last. Once again, it's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Night Terrors by Samantha Mayotte Ashling hated feeling like the last one in the building. From the few cars in the parking lot, 
There must have been some faculty or students left getting last-minute work done. The haunted mansion, that was her college campus, was located on top of a small southern Vermont mountain, surrounded by woodlands and an elaborate courtyard that came directly out of her nightmares. As she started toward her dorm, her mind called forth images from those nightmares, creatures moving through shadows and eyes watching her through the darkness. Her feet moved quickly, her mental pep talk giving her false courage. She froze in terror as she passed the dark dining hall. That was when she heard the wet slap of dead flesh on the pavement behind her. Her breath turned to mud in her lungs. Don't turn around, she whispered, her body ignoring the command. In the corner of her vision, a mess of black hair and crooked bones disappeared into the shadows. Ashling ran. She pulled out her key ring before she reached her building, her hand shaking as she struggled to find the right key. Breath of relief rushed out as she found it, and she slipped into the hallway. She lived on the third floor, and she prayed to a god she didn't believe in to keep her safe as she started up the stairs. On the landing between the second and third floor, she heard it again. She flinched at the wet cracking of the creature's joints, the bone shifting as it pulled itself up the stairs. She closed her eyes as a fresh panic took over her, determined not to face it again. With a deep breath, she willed her legs to carry her up the remaining flight of stairs to the door of her suite. A few seconds later, she finally felt safe as she switched the keys and turned the final lock to her own dorm room. Ashling shut the door behind her, too exhausted to react to the couple making out on the bed. She dropped her bag, the resulting thunk causing them to tear themselves away from each other. Ashling sat down at her desk, clicked on her desk lamp, and opened her laptop. She didn't wonder how they'd gotten in. Ashling assumed Jameson made a copy of her key one of the times she'd lent it to him. The door opened, an unidentified boy about her age slipping out. She finally turned to face her best friend. Sorry, he said with a smile, his light voice making her feel more at ease. You've got to stop bringing boys to my room. Her voice was still shaky, but she had calmed down a bit and her tone was light. Judging from his eyes, however, it hadn't calmed enough to keep it from him. So are you going to tell me what's going on? Ashling shook her head, not wanting to admit what had happened, even to her closest friend. She spun around in her chair once more before meeting Jameson's eyes. I... Jamie, I just... I don't know. I think maybe I saw something by the dining hall, she said, lowering her eyes. She didn't mention the stairwell. You think you saw what, exactly? You look terrified, Ash, like someone tried to hurt you. His tone was that of a worried sibling, and his use of her childhood nickname echoed his concern. Well, Ashling said softly, her head tilting to the side and being caught by her hand. I never see them. I can hear them, and... She shuddered as she continued. Sometimes I think I see, like, dead things out of the corner of my eye. Like, remember those nightmares I used to have when we were kids? As she spoke, a chill ran down her spine. She wished she could talk about anything else. His phone rang, giving her a momentary respite from the real-life horror story as he gave her an apologetic look and answered it. She let her head drop back and rolled it to loosen her tense muscles. A gasp sent her falling backward onto her desk, the chair going out from under her. Her eyes frantically searched the room, looking for it. She saw Jameson hang up the phone as he hurried over to her. You all right, Ash? Helping the girl to her shaky knees, he led her to the bed and sat her down. I, I must have dozed off when you were on the phone. Ashling's heart started to slow. The images that only moments before were vivid dissipated. It's gone. I can't remember a thing. The whispers of the night terror fading to ether. She swallowed, looking at Jameson and giving him a weak smile as he stood. She worked to pry her hands from her mattress. You should get going. You've got a date from what I heard. I'll reschedule if you need me to. No, you already do too much for me. She said with a sigh and a smile she hoped was convincing. 
I already take up too much of your time. He returned the smile. At least something was going her way. I'll be back in the morning to check on you, he said, walking toward the door. I promise. Once he'd left, she changed into her pajamas and turned her computer on, desperate to keep herself busy. The last thing she needed was another nightmare. She unlocked her phone and turned off her dream alarms. Normally, she set alarms every 90 minutes to help her dream control. It had helped her learn to lucid dream when she'd been younger. But after the day she'd had, she was determined not to fall asleep. She turned and glanced under her bed, where she'd stuffed her dream journal, hoping she had enough homework to last her until classes in the morning. The mansion was empty and dark. Glancing around, she searched for anything out of place to signal a dream. If she knew she was dreaming, she could control it. She could feel the building around her, breathing like a living thing, not a construct of wood and brick. Behind her, the door to the mansion's theater stood gaping open. She refused to go to it, instead walking the other way toward the library. She knew what would be inside the theater, and it wouldn't be the chalkboard on the stage and the seats that had been converted to desks. Ashling stepped into the library, pulling an image of the library's entrance to mind, hoping it was enough to keep her in control. She tried to remind herself this wasn't real, just a dream designed to terrify her using settings she saw every day. It was working. Dream 1, Ashling 0. Ashling expected to see the usual clerk's desk and rooms full of books beyond the library's threshold. Instead, she found herself in the theater she'd walked away from. The symmetrical rows of chairs on either side seemed small, dwarfed by the aisle that descended to the stage. She could feel the tightness in her chest, the fear making it hard to breathe. She turned, but the door she'd come through was gone. She had no other choice but to walk forward toward whatever fate awaited her. Stepping finally onto the stage, she closed her eyes. The wet crunch of joints moving inside long dead skin, heavy hands smacking the ground as it struggled to find purchase on the smooth wood floor. Shivering, she willed them to disappear. For a wall to erect around her, anything that would separate her from the creatures. When she no longer heard movement, she opened her eyes, hoping that her mind had saved her from her nightmare. The creature was there, no more than a few feet in front of her, holding itself up on its hands. Its elbows were bent at unnatural angles, further proof that its body had been used well past its natural expiration. Black, empty eye sockets stared up at her through clumps of stringy black hair that hung in front of a skull covered in grayed, rotting flesh. What do you want with me? Your help, little one. Its voice was dry, raspy, and distant. It seemed to come from the room more than from the creature's mouth. She didn't run, only because she had nowhere to run to. Why? She whispered. It was the only word she could find. The creature took a dry breath and let it out before speaking, seeming to strain with the efforts. You are the one who can walk in both worlds. Both worlds? Ashling's confusion temporarily overwrote her fear. Could it mean... Do you mean the lucid dreaming? Like the dream world? The creature's head tilted to the side, the crunch making Ashling's stomach turn. Both worlds are in danger, and you are the one who must protect them. Why was it speaking to her? All these years, and they'd never spoken. She felt her grasp on the dream slipping, felt herself being pulled back into consciousness. She could hear bells, and frowned. What are you? She asked, trying to hold on to the dream. Opening her eyes to the chiming bells on her cell phone, Ashling reached over and turned the alarm off. She frowned. She turned the alarm off. She leaned over the side of the bed, fishing around until she felt her journal. She opened to a blank page and began scribbling everything she could remember. She closed the journal a few minutes later, 
whatever was left of the dream having floated away. I was about to lay back down when she remembered to check. She glanced at her blanket, making sure it was the same design it had been moments ago. Her computer lay open on her desk. She checked every detail of her room, making sure there were no out-of-place or misshapen objects. If there were, she would know it was a dream. Someone had left the bathroom light on, the drone of the dying motor of the automatic fan rumbling through her door. With a groan, Ashling got up. She had to turn it off if she was to have any hope of falling back to sleep. She walked a few steps to her desk and hit the button to turn on her desk lamp. She heard the click, but there was no light. She tried again. Still nothing. She felt a rush of adrenaline quickening her heart rate. I fell asleep working on my English paper, she said to the dark room. Dreaming. She was dreaming. She looked at the light under the door. Shadows flickered underneath, the creature's crunching joints replacing the fan's din. She concentrated on staying calm and in control, imagining a wall where her door was to block herself in and keep her safely away from the creatures. The sounds of dead hands smacking against the door made her jump. The door remained intact. Swallowing a scream, she tried again. Imagining her door was part of the wall, just as something had made the theater door disappear minutes ago. Still, nothing happened. Ashling stepped backward when she saw one of the shadows stop just in front of her door and slide its fingers underneath. It can't get to me. The door is locked. She watched as the decaying fingers turned to smoke, and mist began to filter through the crack under the door. Memories came to her as the mist started to take form. You want me to help you? With what? She asked, taking another small step backward. We must protect the gateway. Ashling opened her mouth to ask what that meant, when the creature's head moved faster than she'd ever seen it. Looking toward the door, the grinding bones making Ashling queasy. Her eyes darted to the door as well, trying to see what the creature was so afraid of. They are upon you. Flinching awake, Ashling glanced around the dark room. The first thing she made sure of was she was in the right spot, in front of her computer, slumped in the uncomfortable chair. She sat up and ran through her list of dream checks to make absolutely sure she was awake. She forced herself to stand up and walk to the desk lamp, a shaky hand reaching out to press the on button. Pale light illuminated the room. Finally, she was awake. The first thing Ashling was aware of was the warmth pressed against her back. Even though the other bed was empty, he insisted on sleeping in hers. Jameson had let himself into her room, keeping his promise to check on her in the morning. Groaning, she pushed the covers aside and sat up. Once she was dressed, she started assembling her things for class. She heard Jameson roll over again and turned in time to see his eyes open. Warning, he mumbled, a hand running through his blonde hair. He sat up, the covers falling aside. He let out a yawn and stretched. You were pretty restless when I came in. Did you sleep okay? Something about his tone was too demanding. He seemed upset, his stare probing her for answers. She opened her mouth to tell him, but she couldn't get past a feeling in her gut telling her not to. Instead, she said, No, I don't think so. You know I don't remember my dreams very often. In all the years she'd known him, through all the secrets she'd told him, she'd never mentioned her dream journal to him. How was your date? She tried to change the subject and lighten the mood. Jameson stood up and finished pulling up his jeans. His eyes were dark when he looked at her, and he shrugged off the question. He seemed more intimidating, and she wondered if she wasn't feeling paranoid due to the lack of sleep, or maybe he just hadn't had a good time last night. Jameson had no shortage of male company, but he was particular enough that not many ever made it past a first date. Are you sure, Ash? He asked, taking a step closer. Yeah, Jameson. If something had happened and I remembered, you'd be the first to know. Her tone was defensive, and she busied herself with getting her work together. He looked hurt, but he pressed on. Ash, you've always been a terrible liar. Did I do something? Is it because I brought that guy here last night after you told me not to? 
Are you mad at me for that? Ashlyn grabbed her bag and slung it over her shoulder. Look, I've got to go, but we can talk later, okay? Without waiting for a response, she headed out the door, grabbing the keys from her bureau as the door closed. Walking down the stairs and out into the crisp fall air was a relief from the agitation she felt. It wasn't him at all. It was her mind playing tricks on her. She walked up the grass instead of sticking to the long, winding pavement. It was steeper, but made for a much prettier walk than staring at the gray pavement. The exercise was refreshing, and she felt better by the time the mansion came into view. When she got inside the mansion, she headed to the top floor and into her first class. She looked ahead, but she wasn't following anything the professor was saying. She knew she hadn't slept well, but that was hardly a new problem for her. It shouldn't have been affecting her as much as it was. Her dreams were coming back to her in small pieces, and she realized she had questions. Questions that needed answers. Answers she could only get if she saw them again in her sleep. She tried to pay attention, knowing that she couldn't just lay her head down and fall asleep where she was. Not with the way her classmates were acting anyway. Everyone seemed on edge, jumpy and fidgety just like Jameson had. Ashling was in a dimly lit hallway, looking at a door that would lead her to the courtyard. Through the windows, the orange glow of an unnatural sun bathed the world in a permanent dusk. She let herself be drawn outside to the large stone courtyard and the ornate fountain that traveled up a steep hill ten yards from where she stood. It leaked the same black fluid that fell from the creature's lips when it spoke. It was propped up on the edge of the fountain in a mockery of a sitting position. The light from the setting sun illuminated the creature's corpse-like features and brought back Ashling's sense of fear. Its voice sent a shiver down her spine. They are coming for you. Who are they? This creature may be the only thing that might be able to provide her the answer she needed. So far, though, all it was doing was adding more confusion. It spoke again, but the syllables were foreign to her. They will take over your minds, your flesh, make it their own. The events of the morning played back through her mind, his aggression more palpable than it had been. They need a willing walker to pass between the worlds. But why are they dangerous? How could she stop them? What were they? Where did she fall in all of this? How did any of this information help her? Ashling's mind raced with questions. She didn't know which was more important or which to ask first. What are they? They come in through thoughts. They take over thoughts in the dream world, bringing themselves to the waking world. Jameson was under their control. The conclusion hit her mind like a fist, a stinging certainty that she didn't want to accept. They, whatever they were may not be able to get to her because she had mastered lucid dreaming. She ran a hand through her hair, looked up to see the sun had fallen, her mind still racing with questions. She blinked, lifting her head from the arm of the couch in the library. She grabbed her bag and hurried off, her mind reeling from the information she'd been given in her sleep. She replayed the dream over in her mind as she made her way through the maze of the mansion hoping it would last long enough for her to get to her next class and write it all in her dream journal. Ashling, I'm really worried about you. Over the last three days, you've changed. You're, you're seeing things, hearing things. Your dreams are getting worse. And now you're accusing me of being some kind of fucking pod person? Jameson ran a hand through his hair, pausing mid-step to look at her. He'd shown up at her dorm room, worried that she hadn't called in a few days. I've told you before, Jameson. They get into your head without you knowing. You're acting irrational, you've been distant and angry, and I've never seen you act like that. Ash, I'm not the one who's been in my room for three days. He sighed. I found your dream journal. This shit has taken over your whole life. You're getting obsessed, and I can't figure out why worrying about you makes me inherently evil. Jameson's eyes were shining with tears when Ashling looked into them, trying to find anything of the friend she once knew. I think that you should talk to a therapist or the school counselor about your... visions. 
Ashling's mouth fell open in shock, and her face twisted in anger. You went through my stuff? She was furious, until the last part of the sentence finally sunk in. You think I should what? Jameson, you've spent years being the only one telling me I'm not crazy. My best friend would never tell me that. Her voice had increased in pitch drastically as she continued speaking. I should have known something like this would happen. It's trying to protect itself by having me put away. She glared at him, and he took a step back. I never said you were crazy, Ash. He shook his head and exhaled. Alright, you want me to leave? So you can do whatever you think you need to do? I'll leave. He turned and opened the door. Bye, Ashling. He said with a strained voice as the door shut behind him. Jameson wasn't proud of the fact that he had gone into her room. She had written pages and pages on her computer, stories about these nameless creatures who had once plagued the world, controlling bodies long after the hosts were dead. Stories he realized that she viewed as facts, about those things she'd once been terrified of. He searched his phone's contacts for Ashling's parents, dialing her mother when he found it. He explained what was going on with Ashling, trying to make it sound less dire than he thought it was. Her mother sighed, long and exasperated. It was a little out of character for her. She was usually even-tempered. Something must have been weighing heavily on her mind before Jameson called. I thought something like this might happen. She's been struggling for a while. We tried to keep everything pretty quiet. She must have stopped taking her medication once she got to school. Medication? He'd never known Ashling to take any medication. She didn't want anyone to know about her... condition. Even you. The woman stopped. A silence on the phone making it seem like she was gathering her thoughts. Ashling was diagnosed with schizophrenia. We couldn't get her to go to a therapist more than a few weeks. She's always been sort of... caught up in her own world. Talking about those damned dreams... Jameson wondered if there was some validity to looking further into her dream journal after all. Would you... I'm not trying to overstep, but would you mind if I tried to find a specialist here for her? Jameson, if you can find someone that can help her, I'm fully in support of it. Her mother sounded tired, as though the whole situation was more than she could take. Jameson thanked her and ended the call. A list of therapists already in front of him, all who specialized in both schizophrenia and sleep disorders. It took a few days, but he finally found someone who would speak with him. Still, the conversation wasn't too helpful, and he found himself back where he'd started. Jameson kept the information he received from the care center the doctor recommended, knowing that he would only use it as a last resort. The last thing he wanted to do was lock her in a psych ward to be force-fed pills. Jameson decided he had to call her. Ashling closed her blinds and crossed the room, sitting down in front of her computer as though the internet would somehow provide the answers she hadn't been able to find. No matter how many times she'd met with those things in her dreams, they seemed to always skirt her questions by giving her a new version of the same information. The world around her was changing, and she seemed to be the only one who'd noticed. A familiar melody flooded through the room, startling her. She considered ignoring it, but with no more leads, maybe the thing that had taken over Jameson would slip up and provide some new information. Hello? Ash, I need to talk to you. His voice sounded ragged and tired. She wondered immediately what trouble he'd gotten himself into. What about? It seems we ran out of things to say to each other. Please, Ash. It's really important. Please? We'll meet somewhere. I won't come by your room. I know you don't trust me anymore. She relented, ignoring the instinct that was telling her to stay away. All right, Jameson, but if I suspect you're playing at something, I'm out of there. That's fine. I just need to talk to someone who listens, you know? He let out a dry chuckle. It was the first time she'd heard his voice since she'd confronted him. For a few seconds, he even sounded like the friend she'd lost. All right, Jameson, I'm on my way. She said. He told her the location, and she hung up. They'd met in her favorite cafe. At first, Jameson talked about the problems he was going through. The guy troubles, the bullshit that he hadn't given more than a second thought to since he'd left her. Eventually, though, he had to bring it back around to her medical conditions. She denied being sick, 
denied hearing voices, denied ever having been diagnosed with an illness. He realized that he didn't have another choice. He had to take her somewhere. Getting her into the car had been a Herculean task, one that he wasn't sure he would be able to achieve. Finally, after pleading for what felt like hours, he finally managed to convince her to go for just one more drive with him. As he drove to Falling Water Mental Health Resort, Jameson wondered why her parents allowed Ashling to go away to college if they thought she was mentally unstable. She was in full panic mode in the seat next to him, screaming and shouting like he was about to murder her. Just breathe. I'm not going to hurt you, Ash. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. She gaped at him like he had betrayed her. You're trying to put me away so they can get to me too. They know meds mess with my sleep. How could you do this to me? Ash, that's not... Ash? Coming to a complete stop in front of the hospital, he watched as she faded away, and her eyes became distant. What the hell had just happened? Cursing, Jameson got out of the car. He'd never heard of anything like this happening so suddenly. Neither had the doctors, as it turned out. According to them, she was fine. Nothing was wrong with her physical or mental faculties. Jameson blamed himself. He'd stressed her out too much by taking her here when she was already so paranoid. The doctors had told him she may have dissociated due to the perceived threat, that it was only temporary. Until she was able to come back from whatever had happened to her, he came by the mental health resort and visited her as often as he was able to. When he'd gone by the school to pack her dorm, he came across her dream journal again, which she had seemed to be using as a waking journal at the time of her breakdown. He opened it, skimmed a few pages before closing it and putting it into a box with the last of her things. It was back at his apartment, laying on his decrepit couch, that he read the journal from beginning to end. It started as broken words, pieces of things she could remember, As the dates became more recent, it became a day-by-day, hour-by-hour account of what was happening in her mind. He was going to find the answer he needed if he had to read it a thousand times. Jameson paced around the room, wondering what else he could do. He had gotten used to talking to a wall by now. Oh, hey, don't get mad. And I'm sorry, but I've read your journal. Actually, I've read it a lot since... Since I brought you here. He stopped pacing and sat down in the chair next to the bed she'd been put in. At first I couldn't really keep up with anything, but then you started getting more specific. But your notes are still pretty trash in some places. Anyway, I'll tell you what I think. He chewed on his lip. He looked around, hoping the hospital staff wasn't lurking within earshot. He'd likely get admitted right along with her. I've been noticing things aren't exactly adding up in the real world. People are acting abnormal. Like how you've been locked up here for weeks and your parents haven't been to see you once. It's not like them. It's not just your parents either. People have been edgy lately, acting weird, forgetting important things. It's a lot of things that individually wouldn't be a big deal, but all at the same time? He leaned in a little closer, dropping his voice so only she would be able to hear it. He didn't know why. Maybe... He was developing whatever paranoia she'd suffered from, if it was even possible. Whatever it is, it's pretty fucked. There's also reports online of people, mostly people who can do the lucid dreaming like you, seeing things. Crazy, creepy corpses hunting after them, almost just like you described them in your journal. He sat quiet for a moment, trying to see if there was a reaction. He thought for half a moment that she moved and he went still, his heart racing, hoping she would open her eyes and come back to him. He sighed, brushing tears away from his eyes. Maybe she was stuck there, caught in a struggle for power over human minds, just like her journal said. Maybe she'd had a complete mental break, and she was a hopeless case, like the doctors had started telling him. He couldn't give up hope, though. He was all she had left. From what she'd written... They seemed to need a willing host to allow them through the gateway between the worlds. He'd never had the talent she had for lucid dreaming. 
The things she wrote about used human hosts long after their bodies had succumbed to old age, sickness, or injury. I'm not giving up on you, Ashling, he said, bending to kiss her forehead before he walked out of the room. He had been hoping that folding to her fantasy might have gotten a response from her. The hospital staff rushed him out of her room, their looks telling him what an inconvenience he was becoming. Over the past week, they'd become increasingly insistent that she was beyond helping. Another piece added to the dozens of pieces scattered around in his brain. He wasn't sure if he had enough time to put them all together, to see the big picture, or if he was only pushing his best friend farther into the world she was already so stuck in. He wondered if it might be time for him to take a crash course in lucid dreaming. They finally had the part of her that allowed them entrance to her world. She never should have given in to them. It had only been for a moment. She had panicked in Jameson's car, but the single moment was all they needed. Once the invitation had been given, she couldn't take it back. Ashling's unfocused eyes watched as Jameson left the room. She'd been so close to him, nearly able to speak to him. She prayed he'd come back again. She can hear them now. More of them than she ever thought possible. Long, dead limbs pulling forward however they could. The bodies having been used long beyond their intended years. She closed her eyes, not wanting to see as they reached out and touched her with their cold skin, chipping away at her mind, breaking down her last defenses. She knew she was being kept alive for one singular purpose. She was the one who could walk in both worlds. Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Today my guest is Samantha Mayotte, and we just listened to your story, Night Terrors. And uh, we have a great opportunity to talk to you and kind of find out a little bit about you and your writing methods and the story itself. Uh, so I'll start with the basic. What made this a story that was one you wanted to tell? That's kind of a weird question because I wrote it back when I was in college. So the story itself was about 10 years old. Um, so when I first did it, it was a semester long project for my creative writing class. And my biggest thing was like, okay, let's write horror. And I wanted to write a ghost story. And mm -hmm. Um, that didn't happen, but that was my intent was to do horror and do a ghost story. Yeah. It's a lot of work to write a story as we know. And, and obviously this is one that you stuck with and it's 10 years later, you decided to kind of pull out and send off. Was there something special about the story to you or something that kind of spoke to you and made this something that you wanted to get out into the world? When I took it back out of my folder of things that I wanted to go back and revisit, there was a thread of a good idea in there somewhere. And I was like, all right, well, let's work with that. Cause at that point, I was more interested in the horror genre itself, so mm -hmm. I kind of had a lack of actual ideas that mm -hmm. didn't sound like every no-sleep story I'd ever heard, <laughs> so I pulled one out of like the archives and worked on that. Gotcha. What was some of the biggest struggles that you had with this particular story, especially once you kind of pulled it out of the archives and dusted it off? Oh, man, pulling it out of the archives, everything was the biggest struggle because the characters were flat and the... The story itself needed so much work because, man, that creature there was everything. It's been everything. It's been a ghost. It's been a demon. It's been a fairy. It's been everything. And I couldn't figure out a way to make it believable and kind of scary at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the piece kind of fought me the entire way. So how many drafts did you uh, did you take? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you had a couple or a few whenever you started out. And then when you dusted it off, uh, how much did it take you to, to get, get it to the point where you felt good about it? I think in total, it was something like 10. There was like there was four, I think, in college and then another five or six when I pulled it back out. Yeah. 
it takes it takes those those successive drafts. You have to kind of work through it sometimes, especially if you have a story that's being difficult. You you can beat it into submission eventually, um, and no idea should ever be abandoned. You know, if you have something that's not working and you can't fix it, you put it aside for a little while or ten years, and you pull it back, and eventually, you know, if it's if there's something there, it'll it'll come to life for you. Yeah, definitely. I've actually read this piece so many times that I can't stand looking at it. I know I like it. I just, I can't read it anymore. I tried to read it again tonight just to sort of prepare myself a little bit because I don't even remember what it's about half the time. And I couldn't even, I like skimmed the important parts. I was like, I can't even read this. I think we've all been there before. So what came first for you with this story? Was it the characters or the situation, the setting, maybe the, the, the plot in general? And, and which of those aspects was what drew you back to the story and made you pull it out? Um, the setting, actually. This is the only time I can ever actually answer that with any certainty. And it was the setting because the college that she goes to was actually based pretty heavily on where I went to school. Uh-huh. The sort of mansion on the top of the hill is exactly where I went to school. And we had a book of lore of like ghost stories that people told from their own experiences that was in the library. And that's why I wanted to do a ghost story that took place at my college. That's really cool. So what surprised you most about the story? I mean, I know you said you've read it a bunch of times. Is there anything that still sticks out to you? Um, what I actually, what I ended up doing with it was actually the, the ending part where you're sort of like, well, what did I just read? Like, what did that actually happen? Is it all in her head? Is she crazy? Is she not crazy? And I've managed to even like sort of make myself wonder when I was finished with it. And when I was reading through it, I was like, finally, this is something that I actually want to read now. Yeah, I really enjoy that when a story can be taken two ways. When, when you know, there's there's every reason to believe that it's actually what happened. But at the same time, there's that other thread that runs through it where there's every reason to believe that it's not what happened, that there is a logical explanation. Because I think that that's one of the things about horror and things that, we are afraid of as, as people is we always try to look for the rational explanation, but there's this, this older, darker part of ourselves that kind of looks for the paranormal and um, the unexplainable within things. Yeah. And those are my favorite kind of stories and movies and everything to watch too. So the fact that I accomplished it was, was awesome. Absolutely. Very well done. So as a fan of horror and a horror writer, which means, you know, all the tricks, what does a good horror story have to do to scare you and get under your skin? It's a tough question to answer because I, there's like, I like bad horror, but I also like good horror. But like, I can't put my finger on what actually describes like what is good horror to me because I like horror comedies uh-huh. mostly because I like horror that doesn't take itself too seriously. Oh yeah. The campy stuff's always fun. Uh, as is, you know, the, the, the slow building dread as is the jump scare. You know, some people feel that some of those genres are kind of beneath, uh, but I, I like, I love them all. I mean, I think that everyone kind of has something different to bring to the table, depending upon what subgenre of horror it is. And um, it's interesting to find how different elements can be used in each of those subgenres and have a completely different effect. Yeah. So do you remember a book or a movie or something that kind of drew you into the genre the first time, your first kind of um, experience with horror and, and something that made you want to go back to it again and again? I know other people have said this, but I was really into like R.L. Stein and Goosebumps when I was a kid. I still have 40 of the 60 originals <laughs> and just watching like Goosebumps and Eerie Indiana and when I got a little older, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Twilight Zone, and I've just always really liked it. Yeah. So I watch you on Twitter. You're doing a lot of writing, and I know that you uh, post some of your struggles and your successes and, and that sort of thing. So what is a good day for you whenever it comes to writing? When do you feel like you've had a good session? Uh, lately, it's whenever I can write words down on the page, but um, <laughs> normally it's when I, when I find something, when I accomplish something, because, yeah, it's nice to get a couple of sentences every day uh-huh. or, like, a super short story every day. Like, that's all really cool. But when I write something and I go back and I read it, and I'm like, yes, I actually really like that. And that moves the plot of what I'm trying to do along. Because I actually write mostly longer stuff, uh-huh. like novels, but none of them have seen the light of day. <laughs> so whenever I can, like, whenever I can either get to or accomplish, like, one of those, like big plot points and I read back over it and it's not something that I absolutely hate or know that is going to change 10 times, then it's a really good day. 
Good. Yeah. No, I, I think that's short stories and novels, obviously, two totally different animals. I mean, you, you have to be a great storyteller to do either. Uh, but where the novel is kind of that marathon where you have to kind of keep things going. And on the opposite side, you have a lot more room to play uh, and, and experiment and do things off to the side uh, that aren't necessarily your main arc. A short story, a good, well-written short story is kind of like a joke. It has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has to have an impact at the end. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting, definitely an interesting art form, and and it's uh, it's tough for a lot of people to to do you know to do one or the other. So for someone who can do both, that's that's really cool. So, uh, I guess I should ask if there is a story or a book or anything that you've read that kind of changed the way that you looked at the world and your place in it. doesn't necessarily have to be horror, just something that kind of changed your perspective. Um, there's this really old short story. It's by Kate Chopin or Chopin or Chopin. I'm not really sure, so I say it like the composer. <laughs> um, but it's called The Story of an Hour, and it's about this this married woman who... She, somebody tells her or she gets a telegram or something um, that her husband died at war or something. And it's the story of the hour following that and how she felt in that hour about how happy she was. Not like upset or sad or anything because it was freeing for her to be, to finally be like a widow and to be able to kind of like do her own thing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the hour, he actually comes home because it was a, it was like bad information. Okay. And she is so torn up about it that she actually has a heart attack and dies. Oh, wow. And just, the, yeah, and it was really like, it made me really like think about like, okay, one, what misinformation can do to people. Mm -hmm. And then just sort of like, I don't know, kind of made me like, okay, well, at least I don't live in a place where like, I hope my husband dies one day so I can like go to the grocery store by myself. <laughs> right. Now, one of the big things about a good story is being able to identify with the characters. In this story, which character do you most identify with? The character of Ashlyn was actually definitely a self-insert of me back mm. when I was writing it in college. So, I mean, she sort of still resonates with me a little bit because she's just this like poor girl who just has all these problems on top of having horrible nightmares, on top of hearing voices that are telling her that her best friend is trying to kill her. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a tough situation to be in, too, you know, to to have somebody that you trust and to convince yourself or to become convinced that that person's out to get you. And I think that that in, enhances kind of the end of the story where you're like, well, it, was she just paranoid and did she have problems or did she have this stuff going on, which made her paranoid and gave her problems? I mean, because which one caused the other, right? Right. And that was actually a really hard thing to write into the story, too, was to show that, like, he's, like he might be acting different, but he might not be. Yeah, and I, th I found it interesting, too, that we get to the kind of to the end of the story and, and we, we switch perspectives, you know. So most of the story is kind of her story. Um, and while she's she's not disappearing at the end of the story, you really get an insight into kind of what his conflict has been throughout the entire piece. Yeah, it was actually one of the biggest struggles when I was editing was, do I add this other perspective? Because I think that there's so much more information that we can get if I just add like one or two sections with him mm -hmm. versus keeping it just a closed perspective and then trying to have her figure everything out while she's, you know, stuck. Exactly. So what else are you working on? You said you got a lot of, uh, you do mostly long form writing. Do you have any projects that you're working on that uh, fans of the show and fans of your work now that they've heard it can look forward to? Um. Right now in the month of October, I kind of bit off a little more than I could chew, I think. And I'm doing a new short story on my Patreon every single day. So I'm behind in writing that. I was hoping to have them all done and queued up by now, but I'm actually still writing them. So it's kind of hindering my other projects. But I'm working on a collection of um, short stories that all take place in the same universe. Oh, very nice. About all of them still about the same character as well. So I'm hoping to be able to do something with that either by the end of this year or next year. That's excellent. Yeah. I'm a big fan of interconnected stories, the, the collections where, you know, it's not necessarily a novel, but the stories all kind of take place and, and you, you get that same feel for the characters where, you know, you, you come to really know them and, and appreciate them um, and get a little taste of that particular universe without having to, to do the full novel experience. So those are always fun. Yeah. 
less commitment that way. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, so what is the best way for folks to reach out to you? And if someone wants to interact with you, if they heard your story and they, they want to find more of your work, where can they go to, first of all, get more of your work and where can they reach out to you to interact? Um, there is more of my writing on my website, author Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at Fallen Fiction. So you can reach me there. Um, probably Twitter. I'm really active on Twitter, mostly. Awesome. Well, that's about it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. I hope you enjoy, and you know, you haven't heard your story yet. So, you know, hopefully you're going to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, thanks so, so much. For, <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk and it was great having you. Hopefully we'll, we'll have some more from you in the future. Awesome. I hope so. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the wicked library. The wicked library is a ninth story studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library or on our website at thewickedlibrary.com. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards and are part of making the show sustainable. The Wicked Library is proud to have Booth Junkie as one of our season eight partners. Booth Junkie is a YouTube channel dedicated to the tech of at-home professional voiceover created by the very talented Mike Delgadio. If you've ever been interested in getting into voiceover, seeing what goes into voice work, or just can't get enough of Mike's voice, it's a great channel to watch. You can find the channel by going to boothjunkie.com. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It might just help you walk between worlds. <laughs>